0: Welcome to Technical Foodies, a podcast where we discuss QSR technology and hot topics in the food and beverage industry, presented by Acrolec. Hi, I'm Delia. I'm a marketing professional at Acrolec, which gives me a unique perspective on the QSR industry and technology. I work out of the Chicago office, which is our innovation center, Um, so I often find myself surrounded by very tech-savvy people and am constantly looking for ways to learn more about technology in QSR specifically. Um, Looking around, we found that there was really a gap in the market for relatable and approachable content, so we decided to take matters into our own hands. Each month, I'll be joined by experts to discuss headlines and trends and what they mean for the industry and QSR technology specifically. The hope is to make Technical Foodies the go-to destination for anyone interested in technology in QSR and maybe have some fun along the way. So tune in every month, get the inside scoop, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. Kicking off 2023 with a bang, this month, we will be talking about three exciting trends hitting the industry this year. Um, Each January, major QSR publications put out a list of trends they're anticipating in the new year. Um, It can be quite a lot to sift through. Some of them completely contradict each other. Um, That's why I'm so excited to be sitting down with an expert to help us uncover what they mean for QSR technology. Joining me today is Tyler Marps. Tyler is the Vice President of Sales at Acrylic America. He is an experienced technologist and brings years of experience developing technology that has reinvented the customer experience. Thank you so much for joining us,
1: Tyler. Glad to be here. Looking
0: forward to it. Great. What are some examples of top trends from 2022 um, and what do you see emerging in 2023?
1: Yeah, so I think it's good to start with what's going to roll over, right? What, what is here to stay? Uh, and I think the first part of that is going to be the QR code. Uh, we saw sort of a reemergence of an, an old technology during uh, the COVID pandemic uh, that helped businesses small and large, mom and pop to enterprise, be able to quickly address uh question of digitalization and contactless ordering and payment. Uh, whether that be in casual dining settings with order and pay at table, uh, or even in QSR and fast casual environments, to simply provide information to the guest in a contactless way. The next topic that I think is going to be important for us to stay close to uh, is that of drive-through, and and specifically uh, in AI. Uh, drive-through sort of had this this resurgent moment uh, in COVID as well as dining rooms closed down. Uh, brands were operating at uh, you know nearly 98% plus drive through for a good portion of the last 3 years. Uh, we've seen that sort of die off just a bit and maybe get back to, to some pre-pandemic levels, but uh, drive through is what got uh, a, a lot of restaurant brands on the QSR side uh, through the pandemic uh, and allowed them to to maintain uh, both uh, a loyal customer base. And maintain uh, their profit margins, so that they did not have to, to close their doors, uh, as as many unfortunately had to. Uh, the the emergence of of AI order taking in the drive through, uh, you, you've got brands like like Checkers and Rallies uh, partnering with companies like Presto uh, and rolling out uh, AI order taking in their drive throughs company wide. Uh, that that is something that we're going to see more and more of as brands put more focus. And more development dollars on on better providing consumer centric experience in the drive through.
0: Um, what brands are you keeping on your radar as we start off twenty twenty three? Obviously, you mentioned Checkers and Rallies. I think those are kind of big upsets in the market um, in terms of digitalization. Um, but do you have any others that you're you're keeping an eye on?
1: Yeah, without throwing too many names in the ring, uh, I, I think it is important for us to maybe stray away from talking about you know what would be restaurant business's top 500 or QSR's top 50. Uh, we've, we've seen a growing number of fast, casual startup concepts uh, that emerged uh, during the pandemic, survived the pandemic due to their flexibility to innovate on the fly. And have grown because of that. Uh, I, I think of brands like like Velvet Taco. I, I think of brands like Big Chicken that are, are smaller compared to uh, what many of us would know as as enterprise, right? Maybe the mm-hmm. seven or, or eight QSRs that you pass on your way to work every day uh, that, that may not uh, be one of these smaller startup fast casuals. But that's an area for me where, where I think we're going to have immense growth because they're providing uh, both a, a premium product that's appropriately priced, uh, as well as being able to quickly engage with their demographic, with their consumers, uh, and, and do some things that are are creative uh, to to drive brand loyalty uh, and increase customer frequency. And that's that's where I think uh, the the technology world needs to focus as well.
0: What do you see as the biggest challenges facing the industry this year?
1: Focus. I think focus is, is the number one challenge facing the technology industry, not just restaurant technology, uh, but it's also the one that's, that's facing the brands the most. Our, there is a saturated market right now as it relates to uh, vendors providing really exciting and enticing technology for these brands to consider. It's that saturation, I think, that's going to cause brands to maybe need to take a step back and understand truly what they're trying to achieve, whether that's in-store, whether that's in the drive-thru, and and really define KPIs around their own brands.
0: You hit right on a a good segue for our next topic um, of uh, trends here, our first one being recession. Um, As you kind of mentioned, it it really has been everywhere. Um, Just the buzzword of recession Um, in the last like three, four months, even before, you know, we got to 2023. um, You know, I think we're still, as we talked about earlier, we're still kind of reckoning with what a post-COVID QSR industry looks like um, because a lot of that traffic did still stay in the drive-through. And now it's about, um, you know, we've got lots of, Wage increases, you know, coming through with legislation. Um, I think it was something like 25 states passed a law in 2023 to raise their minimum wage. Um, So do you see the emphasis on drive-through shifting as we go into what, you know, we're calling a recession or, you know, economically instable, unstable times?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um... But, but I think it's important to provide maybe some context around the word shifting. Uh, what we've seen in the last 8 to 12 months uh, has been a shift back to pre-pandemic levels in the drive through We've shifted back to those pre-pandemic levels with latest reports showing between that 65-67 uh, range as it relates to drive through uh, usage from their guests and overall transaction counts. I don't expect that to decrease or increase drastically just due to recession. Uh, Americans love their drive throughs uh, not only for for the convenience factor, but because it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a nostalgic part of Americana, right? Yeah. The ability to stay in your vehicle, get your food with your family, however many large that may be. Uh, but I think we're going to stay right in that that normal range, right? That 65 to 70% drive-through with guests now feeling comfortable coming back into a restaurant environment. Uh, And and as the brands are starting to align again with pre-pandemic indoor dining strategies, uh, I I expect there to be not only an increase in technology adoption to help stave off some of the labor wages that we're seeing uh, across some states, and I think that's a, a good segue to maybe our, our next topic.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think the big quote that I want to pull here um, was the VP of franchise sales for noodles and company um, stated that as you know, wages continue to increase, the demand for high caliber team members increases um, and brands will need to adapt without sacrificing service standards. Um, so how can we bring that cost down while still ensuring um, lasting you know good quality as well as you know continuing growth in that category
1: it's a fair question uh, and I think we often focus too much on consumer facing technology as it mm-hmm. relates to lowering the overall cost of labor in a restaurant environment and what we've experienced at Afterlife is that that's not necessarily the case. Technologies like kiosk, technologies like mobile app, even digital signage, don't necessarily reduce the amount of staffing that you're going to need in your restaurant environment. In fact, we typically see quite the opposite. Those technologies are technologies that drive throughput. They increase a brand's ability to get more customers through the dining room or the drive-through lane. And as such, you're going to need at least the same amount of people in that restaurant to be able to fulfill those orders. Uh, so, what role technology can play in, in lowering the cost of employment? Uh, I, I think that comes down to uh, operational equipment. Now, here's where we start talking about kitchen equipment, and I and I don't want to go down a path of of where we've got you know a, a restaurant run entirely by by robots, right? Uh, the, the Mr. Flippy uh, burger maker, uh, if you will, but but rather updating technology to allow the temperature of a grill to be maintained throughout an entire 12 or 15 hour day. The frequency at which oil needs to be changed in a fryer. Those are the types of things that brands are going to have to focus on to allow their employees to gain operational efficiencies, to then be able to make a consideration of changing your shift count, right? Uh, because I I still don't believe that any of those things will cause a reduction in labor or even replace the labor force that the brand is operating with now. But I think it allows them to be more efficient, which in turn is going to increase throughput. With a labor increase uh, is is also uh, where we found some brands needing to increase prices. In 2021 and 2022, um, as as we saw, you know, states like California coming out with a massive increase in in minimum wage that needs to be monitored. Um, yeah, behind the scenes as well, from a, a supply chain management standpoint for the brand, as uh, they are trying to lock in their prices on a quarter by quarter basis. I mean, during COVID, the the chicken spot market was changing, you know, five or six basis points in. In an eight hour window. Yeah. And it was. How do you keep
0: the price of a chicken sandwich consistent? You know,
1: it's nearly impossible for brands to, one, be able to source that product at an agreed upon price, deliver it to the restaurant, and then share that cost to the consumer. And it is not possible uh, today with the majority of brands still not having digital signage yeah. to be able to change prices on the fly in a drive through right? In-store, sure, you can speak to the consumer and just let them know, but when you're at that menu board, a static menu board in particular in the drive through the price is there and the consumer is going to ask questions if they see something else in their order confirmation screen ahead of pulling to the payment window. So as such, some brands did not increase their prices and were were operating at a loss on certain menu items, just because they did not have a manageable way to make those price increases known to the public.
0: So I think it, when in context of staff in a restaurant, I think a lot of what we're talking about is is data. Is it different in Denver than it is in you know Louisiana? And. So do you think that that is going to be the emphasis kind of going forward into this uncertainty is trying to crack down and collect all of this information or as much as possible um, before they're then able to make changes or, or you know, cut staff or or what have you?
1: It's an excellent question. Uh, and for, for any of the listeners, and I know you've been privy to some of these things at trade shows and I have as well as we walk the floor and just see the types of companies that emerged in the last two to three years. And I think we've had maybe a six or a seven X increase yeah. in the number of labor management software solutions that exist in the market today. Uh, but those software solutions have to be data-driven. The The cost of a product, the cost of delivering that product in Los Angeles is very different than Morgantown, West Virginia. Yeah, The demographic in LA versus Morgantown the demographic in Morgantown compared to Pittsburgh compared to Chicago, yeah. though that data is is paramount for for brands to consider. Uh, one, as I expect, uh, brands to sort of come together uh, that we like we've not seen in the past uh, to try and fight off some of this legislation as it relates to labor increases, um, as it relates to minimum wage, Be- because they are operating inside of known quantities. We've got a shortage of truck drivers, so shipping is now more expensive. We've got a labor shortage still, so labor is more expensive. Um, So we we can't just say that one size fits all as it relates to a labor increase or even a price increase on the brand side. And to your point, I think data is the only way we get there.
0: Flexibility also seems like a really necessary um, concept for chains as they try to feature proof knowing that a lot of those prices are going to continue to fluctuate wildly especially if we continue into a into a recession. Absolutely. Awesome. So I think our second topic here um which we kind of did a nice little lead into um is loyalty. Um loyalty programs, uh, several sources talked about a renewed drive for them. Um, whether that's reworking what's already there, figuring out how to implement them in new ways, or even just starting from scratch, um, from a marketing and brand perspective, um, when these are implemented successfully, you're, you know, you're evangelizing these customers. Um, and for me, what comes to mind is Starbucks, which I think is, um, kind of part of my personality at this point a little bit. Everyone knows me from my Starbucks.
1: You have to earn those stars.
0: (laughs) Have to. And I think that Starbucks is a really great example of how you can set attainable thresholds for um, loyalty and and keep people coming back for, in my case, 10 years, which at 25 is moderately depressing, but we don't have to go there. Um, Do you see loyalty programs becoming an emphasis for brands?
1: a hundred percent. I mean, there's there's no two ways about it. For anybody that listens to a large enterprise QSR brands earnings calls, um, you're gonna notice two things right away. They want to increase what is considered known diner sales. So they want to to know their diner, not just the demographic, not just that it's, you know, white men age 30 to 41, right? That, that data is not necessarily useful. Now, no, they wanna know how many times you're ordering a sandwich and right. what you want on it. At the store level, that data does not provide enough information for an individual owner operator or franchisee to be able to make informed decisions uh, about their own pricing power. So to increase known diner sales, we have to have good loyalty programs. Now, good loyalty programs, have been around forever. Uh, There are as many many loyalty programs as there are QSR brands in the world right now. I I think where oftentimes brands and loyalty providers may fall short is the collaboration with other consumer-facing technologies. Because loyalty on its own, a loyalty platform on its own is not enough you have to have an engaging consumer-centric application very similar to the one you mentioned about Starbucks. It's simple to use, remembers your favorite orders, has a very clear-cut rewards program that you know exactly what it means at all times. You know how to achieve those certain goals and and milestones in the app. I think that's where the focus needs to be for brands is they, most of them have loyalty programs today. Mm-hmm. Most consumers don't have a reason to become loyal. Loyalty is a sin. The consumer is selling their data to you. What are you giving them in return? It's not a one-way street. And I think that's where we, we maybe have some, some deltas between brands like Starbucks uh, or Dunkin', for example, who mm-hmm. have great loyalty and other brands that have maybe fallen short of the mark uh, and determining what that sell price is for that data yeah. is the first step in them being able to build out that consumer centric proof.
0: And then, so in the context of our last trend, recession, at, during the last recession, so like 08, 09, is when we saw a lot of these really deep like price cuts, right? You know, $5 foot long, which now goes for $12 in Chicago, dubs, it's depressing. Um, do you see loyalty programs like being that where we get those discounts that we used to see on like the dollar menu and, and just widely available to get people just to come in the door? And now it's high you know, we'll give you a deep discount, but I want your information.
1: Yeah. So I'll start by maybe changing the terms that we're using. Yeah. <laughs> to use a more brand centric term. We're not providing discount. We're providing the, the customer value. There we go. Yeah. Right. Value meal, value item, promotion, commercials, radio adverts, In the QSR industry in America, is the number one indicator of recession. There is data that backs this up that every time we've had an economic downturn, right before it happens officially, QSR brands start to promote value meals and value item deals for their customers. Uh, That's not going away. If you turn on the TV, everybody will be watching the Super Bowl on Sunday, everybody will be engaged in something. Uh, here in the next couple of weeks, pay attention to the commercials that play for QSR brands. They're out there and they're all promoting value in this moment to the customer because the only way for them to stave off recession and sort of continue to be recession proof, which they are, is to promote value to the customer, which in turn, the customer provides loyalty and frequency to the brand. So it, there really couldn't be a better tie between the two topics of loyalty and value because providing value in a time of economic downturn is the number one way to drive loyalty and frequency at the brand level.
0: So it becomes a battle for who can give the best value while gaining the most themselves, basically.
1: It it absolutely is. Uh, And specifically in the QSR industry. And this is where we could spend some time perhaps talking about you know different demographics uh, of fast casual versus QSR, but inside of QSR, um, the majority of those consumers are, are value driven in these types of scenarios, and, and that's that's not a bad thing by any means. That's this is the time to be value driven, but it's not a race to the bottom. It's not a race to find the lowest common denominator or the lowest price. To me, that's discounted. Yeah, value is what i'm getting for the price i'm getting it at and that's where we're going to start to see qsr a small shift from premium limited time offerings to standard menus nationally to value pricing nationally and that value pricing may fluctuate region to region of course whereas in the fast casual segment some of those smaller startup environments that we talked about earlier are usually positioned in urban locations Mm -hmm. that are a little bit higher income uh, at a household level and have a large consumer base that is working nine to five in that city nearby. And as such, those young professionals want a premium product and will still be willing to pay for it even in recession. I think that's that's where we'll have a split in what we consider to be the food and beverage industry a bit, where your QSR giants focus on value and frequency, and your fast casuals continue to put out a premium product at a premium price because they've already done the legwork to make you loyal.
0: That's a really good point about the loyalty. I mean, we have a, a burger chain down the street from us here in in the Chicago office, it's um Small Cheval, they're like really known for their burgers. It's very Chicago. Um, And it is all they serve is burgers and fries. You can add bacon or you can not add bacon. Like those are your options. Um, And it's packed every single lunch rush, no matter what. It's a $13 burger for lunch and people are about it. They will line up around the corner for days to get a burger from Small Cheval or All Cheval. Um, So my other big question around loyalty is how we um, are able to migrate that from the traditional sense of, you know, me ordering ahead at Starbucks or me ordering at Starbucks and getting those points. So are we at a point where we're able to bring loyalty into the drive through and to third party pickup in an equally seamless way that we're able to accomplish it in inside of a store?
1: Yeah. So loyalty for delivery and pickup is a tricky subject because the majority of brands offering delivery and pickup are doing so through a third-party service. You think yeah. Uber Eats, Rub-Up, DoorDash, Postmates, those are the major players. I believe that throughout this year, we're going to see brands, uh, and it may be a small number, but I, am, I know it will happen, focus on first-party delivery Think Domino's, they just purchased the largest fleet of EVs for, I think, any restaurant chain ever. Right? Not sure that any other chain has purchased any EVs, but they (laughs) they have the most. (laughs) They have the most. Uh, But that focus on an efficient first party delivery platform allows them to maintain loyalty because it's a known driver, likely going to a known consumer. And Domino's is then able to use that driver and that delivery service as an extension of the brick and mortar store to build a relationship with the consumer that they're delivering to. That's, that's the difference. I think the, the order online or order ahead pickup experience, which I think is going to shift from in-store to a drive through experience Uh, brands, especially around new store openings and new store construction are starting to factor in mobile pickup lanes. Uh, yeah. where it would be a dual lane or a merch, where that second lane is for pickup orders only. We've seen McDonald's successfully implement the, the pull-ahead parking spaces, uh, yeah. both for drive-through ordering as well as order ahead. All of those elements allow for loyalty. Very difficult to achieve through third-party uh, delivery services, but as they're able to pull that internally, again, to comment about brands needing to find their focus,
0: Mm-hmm. If,
1: if that's their focus, if loyalty, frequency, uh, and value are their focuses, first-party delivery is not a bad way to gain some of that consumer back. On the part of those third-party delivery service providers, I, I don't have a bad word to say about them. It's yeah. an excellent service in a sector that was missing, but they've positioned yeah. themselves in a way that they're at the forefront of the conversation and not the branded.
0: And they have full seats at the table. Like we were at um, the McDonald's convention last year and they were talking about using DoorDash specifically as their vendor um, for delivery. And I think, you know, just being someone who orders a stupid amount of fast food for being what I do every day, um, you know, you definitely get a better, a deeper discount on DoorDash than you do with... Uber Eats and so at some point DoorDash had to be part of the conversation with McDonald's about how they're going to accomplish this sector of their business, which I think is kind of a out of left field situation had it been, you know, 10 years ago or whenever before all of this kind of became even a possibility.
1: Pricing power is not just about earnings calls from a brand to consumer perspective. Vendors have pricing power as well only because they're providing value. In the same way the brand is trying to do that to the consumer, vendors need to focus on that towards the brand if they want seats at the table.
0: That's a good point. All right, my next and last point on loyalty um, has been, we've seen in recent times these kind of, Teaming up of brands, so Starbucks and Delta teamed up, um, Uber and Marriott to kind of share their points. So I get um, more points with Delta the more Starbucks that I drink, which has made Delta my airline of choice because it it just makes the most sense. Um, what benefits um, do you see coming from these dual branded um, partnerships and loyalty?
1: Very simple answer for you. Probably the, the simplest one I've, I've given today, because uh, you've just given the answer. Delta has become your airline of choice. There you go. Well, True. Delta has gained a new customer. Yeah. You now have even more reason to go to Starbucks if you needed more reason. <laughs> I didn't. Right and as you plan- <laughs> <laughs> All holidays, your vacations, right? Weekend away at the lake. All of those things get factored into the equation. It it is truly about the partnership providing both brands with net new customers that immediately become frequent and loyal. But I I think the end result is going to be incredible. And we don't have enough data to, to know what that end result is going to be or if it's better for Delta or better for Starbucks that it happened. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that Delia is buying Delta Flight <laughs> Yeah. That
0: when means, I would have been buying American or United or or
1: whatever. Well, and and I'm using Uber because I'm a Marriott loyalist. Right? Yeah, There's no longer a Lyft app on my phone. <laughs> right? It just it becomes natural to us because these, these brands, for whatever reasons, start to feel a bit like home. And when we in our industry, we often talk about there being a third place. Your first place is home, second place is work. Everybody needs a third place. And oftentimes that third place is a restaurant. It's a bar. It's the dive down the corner that you go to after work for a drink with your your friends. It's that place in between. And as such, those places, these brands start to feel like home. They Mm -hmm. start to feel like family. And when you're able to go into your local Starbucks and recognize the person that's taking your order, that's all the more reason to come back. And the experience that you're gonna gain from the partnership is going to be a very similar.
0: And and gives us a really good segue into our third and final topic, which we're gonna talk about. so our third and final t- trend today, um, dual branding is one that we've seen talked about regularly in the last couple of years, um, but was named in multiple publications as something to watch in 2023. Focus Brand CEO Jim Holthauser, um stated that dual branding is, quote unquote, the future of QSR. Um, Focus Brands, of course currently has more than 175 open co-branded units and 65 more in development. Um, he stated that the main benefits for these co-branded um, brick-and-mortar locations are convenience accessibility as well as a two-for-one in labor. Um, so these used to be huge. I don't know if you remember them from your childhood, but I definitely remember um, a lot of Yum! brand um. Collabs. Uh, I think the one in my town growing up was a, an A and W and KFC back when they still owned A and W. Um, but there was a KFC Taco Bell in my college town, which definitely got a lot of drive through usage. Um, so my first question is: Is this going to make a comeback? In your opinion?
1: Again, a short answer. the The answer is yes. Um, and it's it's funny when we see cyclical things like this happening in the restaurant industry. Yeah. um and 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 jim holthauser has been in the industry longer than than both of us combined Um, uh, but it, it may be the future of qsr but it's also qsr's past and yeah. not so distant past uh to your point about the the kfc taco bell combo the holy grail of cobran yeah um, yeah I'll, I'll never forget there was for a very short while and i'll never remember where it was located um uh, there was what we called the holy trinity. It was a Pizza Hut, KFC, Taco Bell all in one site.
0: Oh my uh, god.
1: No, I couldn't tell you where it was. I was only there once, but it, those <laughs> those things are exciting for consumers because it'll Feels allows, like a mall. And it allows you to try new things. Yeah. Right? Ra- rather than waiting for a brand to put out an LTO. It's like what if I want popcorn chicken in my taco? Yeah. What if, what if I want to put, you know, my, my pizza toppings on my quesadilla? It, it puts, right, it's fun, it's whimsical, and, yeah. and there's sort of a childish pleasure to it. Uh, and, and I think that drives more, more family-style sales rather than individual sales. But the model makes sense not only for the fun and the whimsy and sort of the magic of it, but it makes sense because real estate is very expensive right now. The other piece to factor in uh, is not ne- not just necessarily that, well, we can't get enough real estate, so let's jam two concepts together, mm-hmm. but brands like Focus, brands like Inspire, brands like Yum, uh, these, these large conglomerates of QSRs, uh, RBI in there as well, what they've done over the last two and a half years has been vendor consolidation, and it was mandatory because of COVID. And yeah. it's not just consolidating IT vendors. It's not just consolidating where each brand is getting their office supplies from. So now there's not two or three or four different deliveries to a site that need to be inventorized, categorized from a fiscal perspective because the two concepts are paying different prices for the product. Yeah. But now we've got a consolidated and unified price across multiple brands that allows us to take a smaller footprint, put more options, put more brands into it, uh, and ultimately I expect to see more menu collaboration as well.
0: Yeah, Not just
1: independent two locations operating under the same roof, uh, but rather there may be some crossover and blend with the menu as well. It may lead to some exciting things, again, to drive value, frequency, and loyalty.
0: My next question, um, how does all of that impact Customer experience, specifically regarding technology. Um, for example, you know, Taco Bell, at least the one by me, has you know kiosks in it now. If that's a Taco Bell, KFC, do I then have multiple apps on one kiosk, or do I have multiple kiosks?
1: Yeah, yeah really, a really good question, uh, and one that we deal with internally uh, a lot. There's vendor consolidation that needs to happen on the in-store, what I will call mandatory technology. Right, traditionally point-of-sale, payment solution, the actual credit card reader, and not just the processor. Printer. That's something that has to be addressed before we're, we're able to go in and say that we could provide a unified, digitalized experience. Uh, and that's why you've seen this emergence of what we're calling in the industry, uh, omni-channel platforms, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think everybody immediately thinks of the Toast model. Um, yeah. For those that you know may not be so familiar, there's a, a company called Tabit that's doing a very similar thing, where it is unified platform uh, for in-store technology, it, one platform to handle all of your digital needs. When the when on the vendor side, we're able to make life for our clients, for the brands that we work with, uh, simpler and more efficient we've then provided them the value that we talked about earlier that we do need to provide them. That I believe we, we have a fiduciary responsibility to provide them because they share that same fiduciary responsibility to the end consumer. What a good answer.
0: So in closing, um, what trends do you expect to see within other tech companies this year?
1: So there's, there's really two forks in the road here. Uh, one is that technology companies continue to double down on the, what I would call the 10-year leap that they've made yeah. from providing a really good product to now providing a product that's leveraging machine learning and AI. And the second fork in that road is providing the brand with solutions to the problems that they're facing in this moment. Labor shortages, whether that's inflation, whether that's incoming recession, whether that's this continued sort of drive through focus that maybe pulls in some elements from the AI path, yeah. but is not fully reliant on them.
0: It's all about the data, is really ultimately
1: it is. the I theme think that of this be episode. It's
0: <laughs> all about the data. Um, <laughs> So, outside of the top three trends that we talked about today, um what are some other ones, other trends that you foresee emerging this year?
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be an increased push for brands to get digital signage into their environments regardless of cost. But I think in the last year, as consumers have gotten more Helen, more in tune with coming back into store and and spending yeah. a little bit of money on a premium product that we've seen in 2022, there's now the sort of the, the coffer, if you will, of, <laughs> of to be able to go ahead and make sure that if this happens again, we're yeah. adequately prepared for it. Uh, so digital signage would, would definitely be one of them. Um, the the other thing that I think we're going to see in terms of uh, trends in the QSR industry um, is is not necessarily one that relates to technology. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think we're going to see a focus, and we talked about value, and we talked about that pricing power, but I, I see a focus on really reining in brand image. When you think about loyalty, right, Now I'll, I'll use sports as an analogy, right? I, I wear my Pittsburgh Steeler colors with pride, even though I've not seen a playoff game. <laughs> yeah, in, in As a Bears fan, I sympathize. <laughs> yeah. I, I wear I wear my black and gold proud because I'm loyal to the brand that that represents. Yeah, I think the same is true in QSR. Right, there's an element of like I'm I am a consumer here. I love yeah. this product, and like I don't care who knows it, and I'm, I kind of want to be. I want it to be known that I'm associated with this product. Yeah. And if if brands are able to sort of rein in brand image, find true north and and build out that sort of 12 to 18 month strategy, mm-hmm. I think that might be one of the biggest growth factors to increase loyalty and frequency that we'll see in the market.
0: As a marketer, I, try, I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that it's something that we've been seeing kind of across the board everywhere um, is brands really... I don't want to say minimizing, but yeah, like honing in on what actually is their brand um, and simplifying, I think is a better way to put it, simplifying their brand image and what they put out there. I think Dunkin' just did it. They they just came, came down from Dunkin' Donuts to Dunkin', um, and I think that's a really good example of simplifying and how it, it can be really powerful because I, even in marketing, less less is more sometimes.
1: Yeah, just to piggyback off of what you just said, as it relates to to the Dunkin' sort of small rebrand, right? Really, the, yeah. the annexation of the second word. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's allowed them to do some really creative things on the menu side. Yeah, we are we are not just about Dunkin' Donuts. We're not just dunking donuts into coffee. It's not just those two products. And as such, they've been able to drive consumer loyalty because they're now able to appeal to a wider audience and the. The, the sort of shift in brand, the annexation of that second word, uh, I think certainly helped them uh, in yeah. in waking uh, what they're doing with avocado toast and mm-hmm. uh, you know some of their uh, some of their more uh, breakfast related sandwich style items uh, sort of launched so successfully with the consumer.
0: Is there anything that you are personally looking forward to as a consumer
1: in yeah, terms so of maybe, the consumer-centric excitement, and I'll sort of take off my my vendor hat here for a moment, um, is really focused on uh, this startup fast casual space. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how they're able to saturate the market uh, with with, an, with a premium product, uh, flexing some of their pricing power, and, and being able to uh, just provide more choice. I'm looking forward to see what what brands do uh, with, with loyalty as we discussed, how they're able to approach value in 2023, uh, and then how they emerge from recession, right? There's no indicator that we're going to officially declare a recession. Um, and with election cycles coming up in the next six months, I'm not sure that we, we will officially call it, um, but we all feel it, right? We all see it in our day-to-day lives. Um, And I'm excited to see how how QSR, how fast casual emerges again um, and maintains their recession-proof nature.
0: All good points. I I definitely agree. I think that um, they definitely are shaking up the QSR industry for sure. I think it's it's for a long time been very stagnant in terms of offerings and, and companies and brands and stuff like that. So to see, you know, more of those um, cult classic or cult favorite ones around is, is always really reassuring. Um, and that's all I've got for you today, Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're, you're busy these days, so we appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate
1: being here. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks.
0: And that is a wrap on the very first episode of technical foodies. Thank you so much for joining me. Don't forget to rate review and subscribe. That way you can hear about our next episode um, when it drops in March. Thank you.